you pursuing a natural lifestyle for yourself and your family? Are you concerned about the standard American diet and options available for healthcare? Are you curious about herbs for health or already practice home herbalism? You've come to the right place. My mom, Naomi Kilbrick, is a Christian clinical herbalist and owner of Lower Chi Wellness. She teaches simple ways to live in a more healthy way and to work with plants to promote and restore health. Welcome to the Family Herbalism Podcast. Welcome back to the Family Herbalism Podcast. I hope this episode finds your family well and you are healthy. And I know at the same time, some of you are thinking ahead to what kinds of challenges that your family may face this coming cold season. And I've worked with a number of people to create backup plans should they end up with uh, an infection that they've had in the past, for example. And one of the concerns that sometimes comes up is what do we do about sinus infections? You know, I've talked a lot about different types of infections that are pretty common, colds and flus and ear infections and different things like that. Sinus infections is one that I haven't really touched on specifically, but it's really important to consider because it's one of those areas, one of those situations where many of us believe and have often experienced having to turn to antibiotics in order to fend it off. And sometimes sinus infections can come back. Sometimes our sinuses become a little less capable of fending off pathogens. And so we can have repeat offenders. We can have repeat infections. And because antibiotics, at the very least, we can develop resistance to them and then end up not being able to benefit from them in the future, it's really important to have another plan available so that we don't have to overuse antibiotics, especially in cases of things like sinus infections, which we are actually capable of dealing with without having to rely on antibiotics. And of course, there's always the caveat. And and in this case, I would say that yes, sometimes antibiotics are important, Sometimes they can make a really big difference and that's okay. So it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just that it's really important that we understand how uh, significant antibiotics can be both in their effects on the body and also the possibility that we would have to keep using them and develop end up developing a resistance to them. And so having alternative options to address these illnesses is just a smart thing to do, especially as we are continuing to develop our protocols for family health in dealing with different viruses and bacterial infections. And so this is a topic that I think is really important to cover. With that said, uh, I had a series of sinus infections over the course of a single winter several years ago, and I was able to heal from them using herbs alone, but they kept coming back. And that is actually something I would like to point out is that 
There are common reasons to develop a sinus infection, such as you've had a cold recently where your nasal passages filled up with fluid and it just created the perfect environment for bacteria to grow, or perhaps you have seasonal allergies and so your sinus cavities are inflamed. But sometimes there are cases where sinus infections just keep coming back and keep coming back. And sometimes, as it turned out was the case for me, that's a result of a, an underlying infection that has nothing to do with regular colds. And in my case, it was Lyme disease. It turned out to be one of the first indicators that I had Lyme, and I didn't realize that until the following year. Uh, and then also sometimes it can be the result of additional, you know, different types of like parasites and mold. Mold is actually a very common reason for people to develop repetitive sinus infections. And so I would say if you are one of those lucky people that tend to develop in these sinus infections repeatedly, especially over the course of one season, that it would be particularly important for you to start digging into why is this happening? Uh, you know, obviously we don't want to have to keep taking antibiotics nonstop in order to deal with a sinus infection. And it's also, it's like that warning flag. It's that, it's that white flag of our body saying, hey, there's something definitely wrong here and we need help. And the antibiotics are just not going to cut it. So make sure that if that's the case for you, that you are getting support to deal with any kind of underlying infection. So let's start with what is, what is a sinus infection? It's also called sinusitis, and anything that ends with itis simply means that there is inflammation in that area. And so sinusitis means inflammation of the sinus cavities. Now we have these empty, hollow cavities around our nasal passages, both in our cheeks and in our lower forehead, and when they are infected, they fill up with fluid that is full of bacteria or mold or other pathogens, and it can create this intense pain that feels like a headache in your face. And all the fluid can also impede your breathing and blur your vision because it's like the fluid just has to come out somewhere and it's kind of gross. And also it's really, really painful. Acute sinusitis is what we call the result of a cold or another respiratory illness where we have a sudden case of sinus inflammation and it goes away usually within a week or so. But chronic sinusitis is when we have the impact or the result of either allergies or a more severe infection like what I was explaining before. And that kind of pain, that kind of inflammation congestion is not normal. So again, if you're having those sorts of symptoms, you want to make sure that you're getting support for that. Either way, whether you're dealing with acute sinusitis or you're dealing with chronic sinusitis, there are some helpful tools that can shorten the length of the infection, bring down the pain, help to clear excess fluid, and really just support your immune system. Number one is to reduce your sugar and dairy intake and see if that helps to bring down inflammation because sugar definitely feeds the inflammatory response in the body. And for many people, especially where allergies are a situation, 
is that an increase in dairy intake can actually add to the inflammatory process as well. So even if it's just for a, so a short-term solution, it may be helpful to cut back on these two food categories in order to help you speed up that healing process. Number two, I always recommend lymph drainage massage. And it's kind of hard to explain how to do that through a podcast where you can't see me demonstrating massage, but there are so many really helpful YouTube videos explaining the process of how to move your hands lightly across your skin, over your face and down your neck in order to shift any fluid that is just hanging out and stuck in certain areas. And it sounds really gross, but I have done this every time I've been sick and you can literally feel it draining down your throat <laughs> as it clears your face. And the relief that you get in your face can be really significant. So I always recommend that as well. And then sometimes some people like to have hot packs on, your fa on their face and you can do this by making a compress with an herbal tea and sticking the, you know, sticking a washcloth in some hot, nice hot tea and then placing that on your face. Chamomile and fennel are two great options for relieving pressure and excess fluid in your face. And even if you just have a rice sock or a hot pack, you know, that you just microwave, these can also be relieving just to have that counter pressure as well as the heat in that area. And then finally, I also recommend taking high doses of vitamin C and extra zinc and other immune supportive vitamins and minerals that will provide your immune system with some of the nutrients that it needs to really help clear out infection. And of course, there are lots of herbs. So we're going to talk about that today too. One of the categories of herbal medicine that I really like to focus on with sinus infections is essential oils because essential oils contain very potent aromatic properties that are almost always antiseptic. Many of them help to break up mucus and many of them reduce inflammation and pain. So even if you are working with essential oils that you just happen to have on hand and they aren't necessarily the quote unquote ideal herbs for working with a sinus infection, they're still likely to provide you with some relief. And of course, you want to make sure that the essential oils that you're working with are 100% real from the plant. There's no additives or plants that are put in there that you didn't know about. You know, you want to make sure you trust the company, of course. But this is one of those cases where having some essential oils in a diffuser that's really just promoting uh, general breathing for everyone is going to be really nice. Um, you can also put essential oils on the floor of your shower or on your pillow before going to bed. And then one other option is to put essential oils on a tissue. And you can either keep that tissue in a plastic Ziploc bag in order to kind of hold on to the oils until you're ready to smell them. Uh, or you can just keep that tissue in your hand and you know, while you're resting or just chilling out and you can breathe from that periodically. So one example of a recipe you could use with essential oils on a tissue is to put one drop each of geranium and eucalyptus and then two drops of rosemary. And you just put those straight on the tissue to inhale. Um, other essential oils that can help with pain include lavender and thyme, 
and essential oils that help with blockage with excess fluid that's just kind of congested include eucalyptus, peppermint, and pine. Tea tree and melaleuca are two other essential oils that can be really helpful. And really in general, any kind of oil that comes from a tree is going to be particularly supportive to the respiratory system. In addition to working with essential oils, I also like to work with whole herbs. And for these, they might be in tea form, in which case you definitely wanna make sure you stop to smell the tea before you drink it or as you're drinking it. Also steams where you make a tea, but instead of drinking it, you're making a tent over your head with a towel and the mug, and you're just breathing in the steam from the mug or compresses, like I was explaining earlier, where you prepare a tea and then dip a washcloth in and have that draped over your face. One infusion that I made, uh, that I created for sinus infections that has worked really well, uh, includes the following ingredients. Two teaspoons of spearmint, two teaspoons of echinacea, two tablespoons of goldenrod, and four teaspoons of yarrow. And this would make a quart of tea. So to make an infusion, you put the plant material into the quart jar, you pour your near boiling water over the top, seal up the jar, let it brew for at least 20 minutes, and then you can strain it out, add in your sweetener if you would like, and drink it warm over the course of the day. You know, sometimes teas you can drink cold and it will do just as well, for example, with digestive symptoms. But in the case of sinuses, you really want to drink the tea warm because it will impact the respiratory system more. I spoke about goldenrod in recent episodes on allergies, but it's also really helpful for clearing sinus infections. Echinacea helps with both viral and bacterial infections. It helps to reduce pus at sites of infection as well as reducing mucus. And it also stimulates white blood cell production. And it's a great detoxifier because of its lymph and blood action. Mint family herbs are wonderful for the sinuses. I chose spearmint here because that's what I happen to have on hand. It's also a little more gentle than peppermint, but peppermint is also helpful for sinus congestion. It inhibits mucus, it's antiseptic, and it's analgesic, so you can use either one. And I'll be sharing more about Yarrow's role in this tea when I share the herb focus for today. When creating a blend for sinuses, look for herbs that clear congestion in the upper respiratory system, like red clover, eucalyptus, ground ivy, and nettle. You can also look for herbs that thin and move fluids in general. These are often pungent, so think cayenne, garlic, ginger, fenugreek, and thyme. Some of these are also antiseptic, which is an asset to such a blend. And then look at herbs that really stimulate the immune system. This is where you want to boost your immune system and activate it. This might look like elder, cat's claw, echinacea, or cinnamon. And there's, of course, so many others, but think along these lines. Two additional herbs that are typically used for lower respiratory infections because of their effect on coughing and lung congestion, but which are specifically helpful for sinusitis, are mullein and colt's foot. They actually go really well together and they help to clear mucus and support the immune system in general. So these are some pointers where to go when you're looking for herbal supports and vitamin supports and things like that for sinusitis. 
If you need help creating a blend custom customized for you, I would be happy to work with you. Um, but oftentimes when we're dealing with these infections that sort of come out of the blue, uh, it can just be really helpful to look at what do we have on hand that we can use to support our immune systems. I decided to focus on yarrow today as the herb focus because it is such a wonderful addition to any blend that someone creates for uh, either bacterial or viral illnesses or really any situation where the immune system needs some extra support. It is usually one of the first plants that I go to when I know that either myself or someone in my family are fighting an infection. And it's one that I've worked with for many years. I believe it was the second plant that I started working with after comfrey. And because it's been such an important part of my herbal protocols uh, for so long, when I started designing the decor for my office space, I had my neighbor who is a painter paint a series of three paintings for my office wall and one of them is yarrow. Um, they are beautiful paintings that gets, get lots of attention from visitors and you can actually find the artist by looking for Andrea Irene Studio on Etsy. Her name is Andrea McCackern and she is a sweet lady and I highly recommend her. So little plug there, uh, but yarrow is one that I've been working with for a long time and I was just growing it in my little herb garden. And then when we moved to our new property, I continued growing it for another couple of years until I realized, I kind of looked up and around and realized it was growing all around me, um, all by itself out in the wild. And at the time I had been a little bit nervous about growing uh, or about harvesting plants out in the wild compared to growing them myself because I didn't know for sure if the things that I was seeing were the things that I was also growing. And so it took me a little while to become comfortable with them and that's okay. But I learned that the wild yarrow that grows all around me is is the same thing that I've been growing and it's just as medicinal. So now I don't typically... I haven't grown yarrow for a long time. And uh, so it grows all over the place. It's very easy to harvest. And that's what I uh, use for my family's immune support. Um, it also has some really cool stories that go with it. In fact, in colonial days, people would hang yarrow in their houses to prevent accidents. Kind of a superstition thing, but you'll see why as we talk about what some of the benefits of yarrow are. It also made its own appearance in The Hobbit, Desolation of Smog. Uh, so if you've seen the movie, if you're a Token fan, then you will remember uh, that milfoil was used to treat a poisoning and milfoil is one of the names of yarrow. It's also called the great normalizer of the blood and the master of blood and fever in various herbal books. Some of its other common names include woundwort, and ladies mantle, but in Latin it's known as Achelia milfolium. And this comes from the Greek story of Achilles heel and how this plant or folium was used to stop his bleeding and heal his wound. 
So it has lots of actions, but most of these actions are associated with the cardiovascular system. And you'll hear some other words in there too, but notice as I go through these actions of yarrow, how many of them have something to do with either blood or flu other fluids in the body. It is an emenagogue, which means that it can start menstrual bleeding. It is hemostatic and styptic, but also thinning and moving to the blood. It normalizes opposite reactions. It's antispasmodic, diaphoretic, decongestant, diuretic, stimulant, astringent to the cardiovascular and respiratory and urinary systems. It is alterative, vulnerary, antimicrobial, antiviral, hypotensive, diffusive. It increases venous action and tones the veins. It stimulates capillaries and arteries, soothes capillaries so blood passes quicker, and it is anti-inflammatory to the cardiovascular system. With all of these very blood-related words, you can understand why it would be called the great normalizer of the blood and the master of blood and fever. So for cautions, really it's safe for most people. I've used it with my own children when they were very small. Uh, you do want to avoid large doses in general, but especially in pregnancy because of its amenagogue action. And also, if you have any allergies to plants in the daisy family, you may want to at least be cautious of yarrow, if not avoid it because they are related. And there are some interactions with medications. For example, if you're taking blood thinners or blood pressure medications, you may want to use caution when working with yarrow. It harvests, uh, you would harvest it in full bloom, which is between June and September, depending on the elevation and the location of where you are. And you would harvest the aerial part, so the leaves and the flowers, they can be mixed together when you're drying them. And then sometimes the roots are used, although I don't have experience working with the roots. The constituents that make up yarrow include flavonoids, magnesium, iron, phosphorus, vitamin C, alkaloids, tannins, resin, acids, inulin, glycosides, and essential oils including coumarins, phytosterols, thujone, borneol, camphor, pinenes, sterols, and lactones. Its taste is bitter, which means that it's particularly useful for the digestive, reproductive, and cardiovascular symptom systems. But it does have a quite bitter taste. It's also pungent and has an underlying acrid taste to it. It's very cooling, uh, but it can also be warming through its diaphoretic property. So even though it's cooling, it does open the pores of the skin, which means that the heat that already exists in the core of the body can spread out all the way to the skin. And this is one of the reasons why you'll find that some books will describe a, uh, an herb as being either cooling or warming and then you find the opposite information in a different place. Sometimes it has less to do with the actual degree of temperature of the plant itself and more to do with the actions and how it impacts the other systems in the body. It is also drying, aromatic, and astringent in taste. So when you put a piece of yarrow leaf or flower in your mouth, you can feel it tightening up because of its drying and astringent properties. 
Let's see, it does combine well with a number of other plants, including elderflower, which makes it great for viral support blends, peppermint for its diaphoretic properties, bone set. Bone set I work with when the bones are actually hurting during a virus where the bone marrow is working really hard to produce new white blood cells. And so you just get those achy, achy bones and bone set can really be supportive there. It combines well with ginger for fever, with hawthorn and prickly ash for peripheral circulation. So when hands and feet are not working as well, <laughs> with the nerve sensations, blood flow, prickly ash and yarrow can do well for that. Uh, sage for astringent and nervine properties and chamomile, which is also a nervine. It, yarrow can work well with chamomile for stomach concerns. There are many indications that yarrow can be specifically helpful for. The first I'd like to mention is actually one that is very old. It comes from Hildegard, who was a German Catholic herbalist from the 1100s, and she said it's useful for vision darkened by tears. Now, when you think vision darkened by tears, you're thinking sadness, or at least I'm thinking sadness where you can't see very well because your vision is foggy from crying so much. And in fact, yarrow can be helpful for depression with uh, what you would call a cloudy fog, where it's really hard to see through the day and imagine what comes next. And in fact, it really can help to promote um, clarity and perception emotionally. And it can help those who need a... Uh, need help with emotional armor or building healthy boundaries. So there is this aspect of emotional health where yarrow can really help a person who is needing some vision for the future, needing some emotional support, especially in relationships. Sensitive people whose feelings get hurt easily or who are a little more delicate can benefit from working with yarrow. And yarrow can also help people that tend to jump in and put out the fire. And figuratively, emotionally, they get cut to the bone um, in their emotions a little bit more. And so yarrow is not just for the physical wounds, but also for the emotional wounds. And we would describe that as being the wounded warrior or the wounded healer that yarrow can be really supportive for. Um, it also is really great for signs of high blood or congestion of blood in the head area. And so these are people who may even have a red face or feel a lot of pressure in their head. They might have headaches or vertigo, nosebleeds, hypertension, earache, toothache, gingivitis, stuffed sinuses, um, all lung infections, especially with bleeding and sweating involved. So these are all symptoms of congestion of blood in the head and yarrow can help to move the blood back down again. There are also a lot of signs that we look for when we're trying to decide which herb is best suited for a certain person. And so I will look at their skin, I will look at their tongue, and sometimes I will be able to feel their pulse. And you can look at these different signs to see which, which herbs are best suited to that person. So the person who yarrow would work well for, like I said, often have flushed cheeks, their skin may be hot, tender, or swollen. They just have that ruddy complexion. Or they may have pale skin 
that's kind of thin with blue veins showing. And I feel that usually those pale skinned people were once more flushed, but then the blood shifted. But we want to treat the original cause, the original uh, tissue imbalance. And so we're looking for that, usually for that red color. And then for their tongue, the, the yarrow person tends to have an elongated, a longer tongue that's reddish or has maybe a blue undertone. It could be dry in the center, blue maybe in the center. Uh, it might have severe, in severe cases, you may see a crack down the center with deep red and feathering. And the feathering is actually a very specific indication for yarrow. So if you look at the yarrow leaves, they look almost like carrot leaves and they have very thin um, feathered, a very thin feathered pattern to them. So when you compare that to the tongue, you can actually tell they have a lot of similarity in their appearance. And that means that the yarrow is actually well suited to them. They don't usually have a lot of heavy coating on their tongues. The edges may be more wet than the middle. Again, the middle can be more dry. Uh, they may have purple lines anywhere on the tongue. Another indicator is that when you lift up your tongue and you look at the veins underneath that are normally quite blue anyway, if they seem thick or bulging, then this is another indicator for yarrow. I actually saw that in a child once, which took me by surprise because you don't usually see congested blue veins underneath the tongue in a young person. But then when I asked more about it, um, or spoke more about it to the mother, I learned he had a heart condition and that explained why there was congestion there. Uh, and then pulse wise, if you feel your pulse and it feels very rapid, uh, like it's it's full, it's running, it's very fast-paced and non-resistant, which means that it's it almost feels like it's going beyond its borders of the veins where it's kind of spreading out widthwise. This indicates heat out of the out of control in the body and yarrow would be a good indicator for them. Their general tissue state is hot, intense, or possibly cold and relaxed due to prolonged heat and overactivity. We would say that the heat is driving off the fluids, making them cold and dry, and therefore the tongue may appear cold and dry, pale and dry at that point. Now the rest of the, the signs or specific indicators that I'd like to talk about, I'm gonna split up into systems in the body to make it a little easier to follow along. And so if you're documenting this in your own Materia Medicas under Yarrow, which would be so awesome. You can break these down according to system to help you keep track of them. The first is for the urinary tract because Yarrow does have an affinity to the kidneys and bladder especially, and therefore it can help with inflammation or those itis words for the kidneys and bladder, which would be nephritis and cystitis. It can also help where there is blood in the urine that's coming from the kidneys or scanty urine, which may have nothing to do with a kidney infection, but may simply have something to do with the kidneys not being able to process fluid very well in the body, or incontinence, which is almost the exact opposite situation where the bladder cannot seem to contain or be in control of fluid. Then we have the digestive system. So like I said, yarrow is safe for even small, very small people. It can be used to address diarrhea in babies, as well as gastritis, enteritis, 
digestive infections that have bleeding, anywhere where there is blood. It's the great master of blood. SIBO, which is small intestine bacterial overgrowth. It helps to reduce pathogenic bacteria. It also reduces bile and inflammation in the GI tract. It can increase di- di- excuse me, digestive secretions when blood is collecting at the core. Again, this would be the pale skin, the person who's having difficulty digesting their food because they're not producing enough uh, of the bile and other gastric juices that are needed to metabolize their food. Therefore, it helps with digestion and assimilation of nutrients and can help with names like dyspepsia, colitis, diverticulitis, and also a lack of appetite, bloating, cramps, and colic. Moving on to the skin, one of the more interesting things that yarrow can do is that it can be used following cancer treatments to help uh, provide an antidote to radiation. It can help to heal the body following radiation treatments. It can also be used as an insect repellent because bugs do not like yarrow. And more internally, it can help with dampness on the skin and also it induces sweating. So whether a person has too much moisture or not enough, yarrow can help to balance that because it's a diaphoretic. It can be put in the bath for psoriasis rashes. It can be used externally for bee stings and bleeding wounds, which I'll tell more about shortly, and oral cankers. This is one that I have found to be particularly helpful if I remember to put or, um, yarrow tincture on my cankers as soon as they start to develop, they it's like they shut down and they stop developing in fairly short order and heal up very quickly. Moving on to the immune system, yarrow can induce an immune response. It helps with colds, with flu, with balancing temperature, and therefore helping with fevers and chills especially sudden onset fever or the early stage where the skin is still very cool. And this is this was one of the first experiences that I had with yarrow in which I completely fell in love and decided that as a mother, I could never be without yarrow tincture. And when I run out, that is top priority to get a refill. Uh, one of my One of my kids, which you've heard a lot about, used to have a lot of fevers as a small child and uh, even over-the-counter, you know, the pain relievers that are supposed to help bring your fever down were not working with her. And there was one fever she had in particular where her temperature went to 105. And I gave her a cold bath and I gave her yarrow and I did all the things and the temperature came back down again. And I started experimenting more with it afterwards and discovered in a few other cases with high temperatures that yarrow very quickly reduced the temperature. Uh, Catnip can also have a similar effect. So sometimes I will alternate between yarrow and catnip to really get maximum benefit out of both of them. But yarrow can also be used for respiratory infections, for environmental allergies. It can reduce sensitivity to different plants. It can be used for chicken pox and measles to help finish off the rash so that it's completed and passes through the system more quickly. It can also be used as an eye wash or a compress for inflammation or infection. For the liver, yarrow helps to reduce blood cholesterol. It helps to cool down heat and congestion in, the, in digestion and liver. 
and it can be used as an external compress for liver inflammation and acute hepatitis. In the joints, yarrow can help with lots of different joint conditions, including rheumatism, gout, and arthritis. And then we have the reproductive system. So there are all kinds of benefits to women in particular, although it is also used in a number of blends for men. And for women, sometimes, you know, we have all kinds of different symptoms that can occur before or during menstrual period. And yarrow can help with quite a few of them, including feeling a bit clumsy before period starts, having irregular, heavy, and painful periods, endometriosis, ovarian inflammation, uterine prolapse, menopause symptoms like restlessness, night sweats, pregnancy symptoms including morning sickness, restlessness, uh, in early labor. It can also help with that clumsiness that is due to the hormone relaxin, which is just loosening everything up. And then it can help to prevent postpartum de- uh, postpartum hemorrhage and pain after delivery because it makes the contractions in the uterus more efficient. It can help with uterine congestion, fibroids with bright red blood. Uh, I have a couple of interesting stories around fibroids and I have had clients who have been able to shrink their fibroids using yarrow. I've had others who were not able to do so because the fibroids were quite large by that point in time when I started working with them. Um, But I had one in particular who started working with yarrow and it went from, uh, she went from experiencing pain wearing snug jeans to being able to wear jeans without discomfort at all. And then I had another where I was able to recognize that sometimes the fibroids can appear as a dark spot on the center back of the tongue. So if you see any redness way back there on the back of your tongue, that can be an indicator that there's some kind of congestion of blood somewhere in the pelvic area. It does not necessarily mean fibroids. You cannot diagnose anything using the tongue, but it is an interesting observation that can be made about where blood is hanging out in the body. And that brings us to the cardiovascular system, which is the one I've been saving for last because it's the one that makes yarrow so well known. And that is all of its impacts on blood and how blood moves in the body. So it can help to stop bleeding from wounds very quickly. You can use it for nosebleeds. So putting a bit of fresh yarrow right right in the opening of the nostrils or a yarrow-infused oil or tincture right around the opening can help to stop bleeding very quickly. It can help with red and blue hardened bruises. It can help with blood blisters. It can help to stop even violent, um, violent wounds with active bright red hemorrhaging. Hemorrhoids that have back pain included, stomach ulcers, abscesses, It also purifies blood of toxins. It helps to lower blood pressure, can heal hematomas, varicose veins, injury from stroke or other head injuries. It moves blood to or away the surface of the skin, and it can help with tenderness and oversensitivity of wounds. You might not think of working with herbs should there be a major bleeding issue, but if you have kids, How many times have they had a nosebleed, a cut, a bruise, or maybe even a head wound that doesn't require a trip to urgent care, but nonetheless requires your attention? Having yarrow on hand 
may not be your first thought for an herb to keep in your stash, but when you need it, it comes in handy. That is for sure. So how to prepare yarrow. So we've talked about quite a few different ways. A standard cup of tea with yarrow requires two teaspoons per cup brewed for 10 to 12 minutes. Uh, you would cover while brewing to hold on to the aromatic properties. This is especially important because so many of the properties that are medicinal are aromatic and therefore will evaporate if the tea is not covered. If you are dealing with uh, the pale skin and needing to open up the skin and move heat to the surface, you would drink it hot. Or if you are trying to promote digestion or heal stomach and kidney things going on, then drinking it cold would be perfectly fine. And one to three cups daily is the average dose for an adult. You can create a sitz bath using yarrow for either hemorrhoids or vaginal healing or menstrual issues. And in this case, you would add it, uh, you would add the prepared tea to a sitz bath bag and soak for 20 minutes. You can also work with the tincture of yarrow and the dosage can range anywhere from one to 40 drops of fresh plant tincture. So I tend to work with smaller doses and when you're talking about an illness, you would really only wanna work with small doses anyway so that you can repeat them frequently throughout the day. Uh, so these normal dosages are one to 40 drops one to four times a day. You can also work with it as a fresh poultice for wounds. You can make a paste from the powder of yarrow, or you can take it in capsule form. The average dose is 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams. And some people like to juice it as well. Yarrow really is such a valuable asset for the herbal first aid kit. I keep it tinctured, I have it dried, and I typically have it in salve form. It is a standard part of any protocol I create for active infections, especially with fevers or for wounds, menstrual cycle symptoms, and mouth problems. I highly recommend having it on hand. If you have a topic you would like me to share about here on the podcast, or you have a plant in mind that you would like featured in the herb focus segment, please send your ideas to laureltreewellness at gmail.com. I love receiving your emails and I look forward to connecting with you. You can also reach out for an appointment by visiting www.laureltreewellnessllc.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a blessed and healthy week. The Family Herbalism Podcast is created for educational purposes only. You are responsible for any and all medical and health decisions you choose to make. If you experience a medical emergency, please contact appropriate medical providers. To receive herbalist support, please visit www.laureltreewellnessllc.com. If you enjoy this podcast and find it helpful, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening.